Aloha and welcome to this week's edition of Condo Insider, what you show about living in an association or in general living in Hawaii and about the events that are taking place. And um, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm glad the primary elections are over anyway, because uh, uh, I was tired of all the negative ads um, with regard to uh, some of our candidates. And speaking of candidates, the other thing that's always um, uh, piqued my interest but confused me in a way is what we call OHA, Office of Hawaiian Affairs. And, and of course, I'm a Caucasian, lived in Hawaii 45 years. Um, I get to vote like all uh, registered voters get to vote for OHA. So I thought I'd try to bring some light on the subject and bring uh, a candidate for OHA, but I know him well personally. And uh, I think he's a wonderful part of our, our state because he's a young rising star who cares about Hawaii. So I want to introduce Sam King, an OHA candidate, and welcome you to the show, Sam. Aloha. Thank you for having me, Richard. Yeah, I, I also would tell you to give your best to your mother for me because I know her quite well. Will know. do, will do. Uh, why don't you just, in the beginning, let's just start and talk a little about who you are. I mean, you live in Hawaii, obviously, and uh, but uh, tell us a little about you, who you are and your family and, and a little bit about just who you are. Sure. Uh, so I'm Sam Kalani Kapua King. My, my legal name, or as, as some people in, in our community say, my government name is Samuel Wilder King II. Uh, my Hawaiian name is Kalani Kapua, means the chief with mana. And it was given to me by my grandfather, who is Samuel Paltorp King, who was a federal judge here in Hawaii. And that's how a lot of people know the Sam King family and family name. Uh, I was born and raised in Honolulu, Hawaii, lived with my dad, Sam King, and my mom, Adrian King. And I went to Punahou, graduated in 2002. I went to Georgetown University, majored in Middle East Regional Studies, graduated in 2006. Uh, while I was there, I studied abroad in Cairo, Egypt, from 2005 to six, and then I was studying Arabic. And I worked in D.C. for a little while, interned for senator, working at the Pentagon with a construction project, Pentagon renovation project. And then I went to Iraq for about nine months, and that was a very enlightening experience working with the Strengthening Iraqi Local Government Project on GIS mapping, geographic information systems helping the Iraqis build an urban planning database, basically. And then after that, I came back home and I was helping my mom with the campaign a little bit after I did some volunteer work in Thailand and in Zambia. And then I came back home and I met my wife while I was applying to law school. And so we were dating then. And before I went to law school, I actually went to Afghanistan for a little tiny bit, but that job was kind of crazy. So I came back and I finished up law school. And I, so then I started law school. So in 2010, I started at UH Law School, and I also went to get a professional, professional certificate in urban planning. And so I completed both of those in 2013. And then I clerked for Justice Richard Pollock at the Hawaii State Supreme Court for a year. And then I worked for Case Lombardi Edit for another three years. Uh, it's a real estate development firm here in Honolulu. And then I... I'm now working for a health, a health insurance company here in Hawaii. So that's kind of the, the short version of it. My family goes kind of all the way back, like I said, with my grandpa, my, his dad, my great-grandfather, my namesake, Samuel Wilder King, was the first Native Hawaiian governor of the territory of Hawaii. And then his wife was actually a queen, uh, 
a lady in waiting, or she was kind of like a, a child that was part of Queen Liliuokalani's court uh, after, before the overthrow. And so they got married after the overthrow. And so that was kind of a tremendous event because my great-great-grandfather, James Anderson King, was actually part of the provisional government after the overthrow. And his wife was a lady in waiting for also for the queen. So that was very dramatic. And so my going back even further, my ancestors, as far back as I can trace, and there's two strands, like I mentioned, uh, Kalani Ho'ulumokui Kekai was the chief of Oahu who got pushed off the poly by Kamehameha. So I have quite the, uh, quite the family history in Hawaii with all kinds of different strands coming together and being pulled apart. I'm reminded of uh, a while ago, a long time ago, two politicians who I know, uh, we went to dinner, uh, we were friends, but involved in community activities in addition to uh, other types of work. And uh, they said to me as politicians, Richard, have you ever thought about running for office? And I looked at them and I said, I didn't tell you I was running. And they got excited and their eyes got big and I said, I'm running as far away from that as you can ever mention. It's a terrible, hard job. Don't mention it to me ever again. I'm never having dinner with you again. So why do you want to run? You're a bright young man. You've got a tremendous history and background, great family history. Why yeah. do you want to run for OHA? Yeah, you know, a big part of it is that the Office of Hawaiian Affairs is really becoming much more powerful than people think. And it's because of the moral authority that OHA has in certain influential sectors of our society. And the big one that hit home with me, it, it was, I ran once before for the Oahu seat, right? And that was in 2018 when I saw a lot of corruption coming out of OHA from an audit that said that, you know, the trustees are using their personal expense accounts for their own private, you know, enterprises. And so I ran then to try and help Kaylee Yakina fight the corruption because I just see this entity that should be bettering the condition of Native wines, wasting money instead of spending it effectively. And then I, I, you know, after I lost that race, I was kind of like, you know, I don't need to do this again necessarily. But then the 30 meter telescope came up and that really drove me pretty hard to say, you know, this is something that's really important to start looking at. And so I started delving deeper into it. And the Office of Wine Affairs has a role to play there from kind of their moral perspective. And when I started looking at what OHA does, its programs, they don't do a lot of things that I think would really help move the needle on poverty in the native wine community. And that's, I think, something that's like, it's like the original sin of Hawaii, right? That's, it's underlying a lot of the identity crisis that we're facing in our society. And the big thing that I think OHA should be doing is focusing on early childhood education. And OHA's doing none of it right now. So there's kind of these combination of things that made me realize, you know, this is an area that I think I can run and I can win. And I think I can have a real big impact with my skill set as an attorney, you know, with a background in real estate, background in complex, you know, vendor contracting for complex organizations, a background with nonprofits and boards. You know, I'm the president of my homeowners association for five years. So I have all this knowledge base that I think applies to OHA really directly instead of any other kind of policymaking positions that I could be interested in. And so I was trying to go where I thought I could provide the most value. And so this how, did, you know, you, how long has the Office of Hawaiian Affairs been around? I remember they they had a big issue that uh, um, because it supports the Native Hawaiian community that uh, who could vote for OHA? That goes back to, I think, a Supreme Court case. Uh, can you just tell us the foundation of OHA and 
and how it came to be and and uh, why does someone like me who's not native Hawaiian get to vote for it? Yeah, sure, sir. So OHA was created after our 1978 constitutional convention. It was meant to better the condition of native Hawaiians. That's its mandate. And that's based on the Admissions Act, I believe I'm getting the details right, which has these five enumerated purposes for the so-called ceded lands, public lands that the Republic of Hawaii owned after the overthrow that were given to the federal government, that were given back to the state, to the, they're, they're held in trust by the federal government during the territory period and given back to the state during the negotiations for statehood. One of those five purposes is to better the condition of native Hawaiians and for other public uses. So we took that from the constitution and we said, okay, we want this organization that's gonna focus on native Hawaiians and it's gonna spend one fifth of all the money that comes out of this public land trust. So the Office of Land Affairs, a lot of people wanted, wanted it to be a fourth branch of government. They wanted it to be a government in waiting it was kind of a plantation mindset where, you know, during the plantation period, during the territory period, everybody had this, you know, the Japanese had their union, the Koreans had something, the Chinese had something, and everybody felt like the native Hawaiians didn't have something, right? So they created OHA. And so OHA was funded with appropriations from the legislature, basically. It's just, there's a $600 million trust fund, which the exact origins of that are a little bit of a, of a mystery to me still to this day, but I think it's just legislative appropriations that over time, OHA gets these large scale lump sums. Like recently in this past legislative session, they got another $74 million plus an increase in allocation. So this $600 million fund, OHA takes 5% of that on a rolling like 20 year average uh, every year, which comes out to about 15 million. And then OHA has traditionally been getting 15 point 2.1 million from the legislature, basically as a part of this public land trust. That's what the legislature considers OHA's share of the public land trust. OHA, that trust, that amount got increased to 21.5 million in the past legislative session. So that's the origin of OHA. It came from the Constitutional Convention. It was meant as this entity to better the condition of Native Hawaiians. A lot of discussion and argument was about whether or not it's a government waiting, whether or not it's reparations. Either way, it's funded through legislative appropriations and it gets its money, the, the argument, the discussion that OHA constantly has, which is suing the legislature all the time, is saying we deserve more than what we're getting from the public land trust. So that's where its money comes from. Well, let's do this. Uh, this these shows always go fast. We're going to take a one minute break. When we come back, I want to ask you some a couple of questions about OHA, but then get into more of your views on uh, the important matters before the state of Hawaii. You mentioned TMT, so we'll, we'll come back to that because after the article in the paper today where the EPA made some kind of, I'm not sure uh, why this is environmental protection, uh, the cultural issues, but anyway, EPA decided to jump in and throw its 25 cents on the matter, but let's take a one minute break.
Well, welcome back to our show after the break. Uh, we're sitting with Sam King, candidate for OHA, and I'm asking him questions about more or less the origin of OHA. And uh, we had to take a break, so I want to come back to a couple of questions. So I want to ask him some tougher questions about his stance and some of the issues before us. We certainly know that uh, we saw some uh, negative press. OHA has had, a, has had its fair share of negative press over time uh, and what they do with their money. but. Anyway, going back, Sam, to my original question about OHA, why is it that I get to vote? So in 2000, there was a Supreme Court case called Rice v. Cayetano. A gentleman named Rice sued the state of Hawaii Office of Wine Affairs to say it's racist. It's a violation of equal protection for him to not be allowed to vote for a state agency that spends government money. And the U.S. Supreme Court agreed with him. There was actually a second case that decided that anybody could run for the Office of Hawaiian Affairs. Also, those were two separate issues. Prior to that, only Native Hawaiians, people, born, people with ancestors who were living in Hawaii prior to 1778, which is the date Captain Cook arrived, uh, could vote. And so that was why now everybody can vote for the Office of Hawaiian Affairs. And everybody, you know, you, you want me to keep it brief, Richard, but, you know, you got to emphasize that I think that that was the right decision. I think that. Hawaii from 1778 was not a race-based place, right? It's, it's ironic that we picked 1778 as a date because at 1778, we weren't Hawaiians. People living on Oahu were Oahuans and people on Maui were Mauians, right? If we even called ourselves that. We only became Hawaiians after Kamehameha conquered all the islands and pushed my ancestor off of a cliff on Oahu. That's when we all became Hawaiians, right? And that kingdom that was created by Kamehameha was created with the help of John Young and Isaac Davis, who were two Europeans that were not had no ancestors prior to 1778. They wouldn't qualify, but they were made into Aliti by Kamehameha. And the point of that is that right from the very creation of the kingdom of Hawaii, which the state of Hawaii is the descendant of that, right? We're the successor and in interest to the kingdom. We have been a multicultural society where race has not played a factor. And in the, every constitution the kingdom had, you didn't have to be a person with prior to 1778 lineage to vote or to be a citizen. Anybody born here was a subject of the kingdom. And so it's actually a historic and a violation of you know, our equality before the law as a people for us to start having these race-based concepts. That's, like I said, a plantation era mindset. That was something that when Kalakau started bringing in laborers, and then during the territory period, the plantation started bringing in people from different countries in order to break up strikes by the unions, right? They brought in all the, the Japanese workers and then they started organizing. So they brought in the Chinese workers to break them and then they brought in the Korean workers. That credit started creating these, you know, these cleavages in our society. And OHA was kind of born out of all of that, right? Because Hawaiian culture was, is alive and well with all of us, right? We're, we all have hula and we have mele and we have alelo vai. And to some extent, a lot of that was suppressed and oppressed in the past. And, and that's kind of where the complication comes in. That's where the reparations discussion comes in. But really, when you get right down to it, Hawaii was not a race-based place. So having an entity that was specifically race-based, backed by the state of Hawaii, backed by the government, was a violation of our history. It, it just wasn't correct. Not to mention the U.S. Constitution, which is what the Supreme Court was ultimately concerned with. Well, you know, OHA, as you said, I think uh, this past year gets over $20 million. What do they do with the money? They give out grants. 
So OHA has <clears throat> numerous grant programs and they, people apply for money for community impact grants and they give it out. Some, you know, they have college scholarships and they give money for, you know, people who are teaching a little Hawaii, people teaching, you know, Lomi Lomi massage, uh, those kinds of situations. There's, there's also a car loan program. There's various things that I'm not sure what the effectiveness of them has been. I, I commend a lot of people at home. I think there's a lot of people there that work hard. I think there's some people that may not, but there's really not a rigorous data set that shows that what they're doing is working. That's what concerns me the most. Because the one thing that OHA has not been spending a lot of its money on, as far as I can tell, is early childhood education. And if you look at my website, votesamking.com, you go to the issues page and you can read all about early childhood education and what a great thing it is. Uh, the federal government's all over this. We got all these federal programs. I got two kids and you know I was setting, going to kids, getting evaluated by these federal programs for early childhood education. Kamehameha Schools is very involved in this. Queen Liliokalani Trust, Keiki Oka'aina. There are all these groups that are engaged in early childhood education, but not the Office of Foreign Affairs. The excuse I've heard is that, oh, well, Kamehameha Schools is doing it. And to me, that doesn't hold a lot of water. And I can see that the results, whatever OHA is doing for the past 44 years, it doesn't seem to be working. There's a lot of Native Hawaiians I've talked to in the community who are upset with OHA. I heard one lady who was running for governor say we should abolish the Office of Hawaiian Affairs, a Native Hawaiian. I was just like, I was surprised because people aren't seeing the results. They're not hearing from the OHA trustees. You know, there's no, there's no debates about OHA right now. There's two incumbents, right? Jawahe has been on the board for 22 years, half, ex half the existence of OHA. They always has been on for eight years and they participated in no public forums, no debates. And I just got confirmation from uh, Star Advertiser and PBS. They want to do public debates. And the incumbents haven't agreed to do them. So nobody really knows what all is doing. Nobody's really discussing the programs. There's no discussion about whether or not anything is working because nobody's having any debates. The early childhood education programs would work, but nobody's measuring it. Nobody's doing it. And Native Hawaiians are still suffering from the highest rates of poverty in Hawaii. Well, you know, there's been always a lot of, I don't know the exact status of this today. There's, there's been a lot of calls for an audit of OHA. Not so much what they're doing per se, but it's more, no one really knows what they're doing. And, yeah. you know, and what is the status? Is there an audit? Is there supposed to be an audit? There's not an audit. What is the status? So they've been audited by the state. In fact, in order to get their funding, they were meant to get audited by the state auditor. And because they refused to give the state auditor their executive session minutes, the state auditor refused to certify them. So the speaker psyche did something to make it all go away. I, I don't know why. I think OHA should have been forced to give away those executive session minutes. So that's one type of audit. That's a performance procedural audit. Kili Iakina has also been calling for a forensic audit to really look at what the grant programs are, you know, what they've spent the money on. And there's been a number of red flags. There's supposed to be another report coming out soon, highlighting what's been going on with a lot of those red flags. And it's the, the audit, Kili, what Kili wanted, he, I don't think he got everything he wanted, but he did get some of it. And they raised spending issues that, you know, it's like OHA's not following its own procedures, right? OHA's not keeping track of where this money was going. I mean, there's money that gets spent on like on creating a tribe or on researching, you know, the history of Hawaii or the history of federal recognition or something like that. And they don't 
know where the money goes, right? They can't keep track of the receipts. But it is, is it true that if you look at who OHA reports to, it reports to the state, right? To, through the yes. government? Well, it's a, it's a huge problem. When I, so I tried to get financial data out of OHA once. And when I called their office, the person who answered the phone, I said, you, you know, I pursued to the Office of uh, Uniform Information Practices Act for Hawaii. I want such and such records. And the person who answered the phone said, we are not a state agency. We're a separate government. And I was just flabbergasted. I wrote a letter to the Office of Information Practices. And I said, who, what, what does OHA think it's doing, like, that they're not subject to? And that's the mindset of a bunch of people at OHA and some trustees. They think that OHA is a separate government, and it's not. It is a state agency. And it's one of the biggest problems with OHA, honestly. It's, it's a challenge because it's called the Office of Hawaiian Affairs, but all the people of Hawaii are Hawaiians, right? That's the biggest challenge we've got. It's like, if you wanted to identify Hawaiians as people prior to 1778, you would actually have to call us Sandwichians because the Sandwich Isles is the first name that I've ever found in primary sources for the archipelago that we now call Hawaii. Remember what I said, before Kamehameha conquered, we weren't all Hawaiians, right? We were all separated. The first person to name the island was Captain Cook. Because we're down to about the last three minutes of our show. I want to, uh, it was quick, I could talk to you for hours because this is fascinating. But you know, the, the, and I don't think they have the decision-making authority, but what is your views? Because they've certainly been outspoken about TMT. There's been uh, issues whether or not they help fund the protesters on the mountain, you know, those kinds of things. What is your position on TMT if you were elected? Oh, I fully support TMT. In fact, I think if I don't win this election. TMT is going to have a very hard road ahead of it. I think it's already got a hard road. And I really encourage people to vote for me and elect me if they want to see that project built, because I will be its strongest advocate. OHA is a neutral position, which I think is weak. OHA was supporting it. The reason TMT has gotten as far as it has is because OHA started off supporting the project. And they only came out against it after they got scared from protests. I don't even know why. Um, OHA has been supporting the protest. They paid for bathrooms up there. I don't know why they did that either. I don't think they're doing it anymore. Last time I went up there, there was a collection box inside the porta potty at the crossroads. But I am a passionate advocate. The 30-meter telescope is the perpetuation of our culture of celestial navigation and natural observation through contributions to the most advanced scientific discoveries. It is the culmination of our culture of excellence that helped us navigate here across the largest body of water in the world. I think that's a beautiful thing. That's a story I choose to tell about Hawaii and about TMT. And I, I think it's a story that most of the people in Hawaii share. Well, I want to thank you for being on this show today. This has been very enlightening. I may ask you to come back and continue this story. Please. I have found it quite interesting and I've learned quite a bit. But uh, for all of our viewers, uh, I would say that you're entitled, as he described, to vote in the OHA elections and who you vote for is certainly your choice, but it's important you vote and you should do some research in the candidates and what they stand for in the various issues because it's important. And I wish my good friend, Sam, uh, great success because he's a bright young man and a credit to our state. And so on that note, I'm going to say thank you for watching Condo Insider and we will see you all again soon, I hope. Aloha.
Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.